The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 589 for Monday, January 25th, 2016. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in questions, tips, and cool stuff found. And like Car Talk for Apple Geeks, we answer your questions, we share your cool stuff found, we share your tips. The goal is together. We want to learn at least four new things each and every time we get together. This episode is sponsored in part by Squarespace at squarespace.com. Slash MGG, where coupon code MGG saves you 10%. Also by Harry's at harrys.com, where coupon shave five off saves you five bucks. We'll talk more about both of them shortly here, here in Durham, New Hampshire, with a little bit of a head cold this week. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Yes, We Survived, the what they call the blizzard. Uh, but I wasn't impressed uh, personally here in Fairfield, Connecticut. This is John F. Braun. Are you taunting the gods, John? Uh, the, the weathermeisters, I, I, I suppose. No, we actually got lucky here. Um, yeah, some of you may have heard we had a little, a uh, little, uh, blizzard action, uh, out here in the Northeast. Uh, but I gotta say we, we got away, uh, pretty light, man. We only got like a foot. Some of the people, man, some of the people I followed like down, in Virginia, uh, the, he was showing, man. Oh yeah, DC <laughs> His ruler, got like two, feet. three, three yeah. feet. Oh. oh, that's a lot of snow. And uh, and especially those people down south aren't aren't used to dealing with uh, that sort of thing like we are. You know, uh, us cold northeasterners, D- New well, Englanders here. DC should be. I mean, it it seems like every other winter they get hammered, and then every other winter we get hammered. Um, but but they are they aren't as prepared as they could be. Um, for if this particular storm, in fact, we here in New Hampshire, well, here in in this area of New Hampshire, got nothing. Um, the, the very southern edge of New Hampshire got some, but it the snow stopped about uh, actually only about ten miles south of us. But so we got literally nothing. But you know, it's all right. Yeah, I had fun with it, man. Actually, yeah. I was out. Uh, I was out putting around in my uh, trusty uh, Saturn, uh, driving around in blizzard conditions, uh, and other people were too. Some people are just nuts like that. Yeah, I don't necessarily think people should be out driving in the snow. That's just well, I'm in a area that's you know you've been to my place. I mean, I'm by the beach, and it's it's, it's you know there's no hills or real real you know challenges. Um, yeah, it was just something to do, and just to you know test my uh, you know winter driving skills, just to make sure I can you know deal with it. Yeah, and I was able to deal with it. Well, I'm glad you dealt with it. And more importantly, I'm glad the people around you dealt with it because that's typically the hardest part of the uh the, you know, the whole snow thing is dealing with the other people that don't necessarily know how to drive. In the you weather. cannot defeat physics is the uh that's a great way of putting it. Well, it's a thing that I've seen is uh even if you got the four-wheel drive or the monster truck, um <sighs> You know, you you can't fight physics, especially with ice. I remember when I lived in Texas, <laughs> the first time we experienced an ice storm, you know, the mayor's on TV, like waving his arms. Oh, stay home. Everybody stay home. And we look outside. It's like, this is like a 
mild day in January for us, you know. So we went out. Um, but of course, the problem is the city of Austin had at that point in time one plow. I'm sure that's probably the same or close to it now, although maybe they've doubled or tripled their plowing capacity. Um, and, you know, and they didn't they wouldn't salt the roads because the roads weren't really built for that. There's no reason to within, you know, certainly a day and probably six or eight hours. It's all melted and gone. But um, we went out to breakfast that day and I remember coming back from breakfast. People would get on bridges and hit their brakes. You know, they put on their. This was back in the in the mid nineties, and people had four wheel drive buttons, and they'd treat it like it was the Shields button. It's like, yeah, no, <laughs> um, no, no. And so when we'd get to a bridge, I would slow way down, let other people cross, and then I would, as I was taught, accelerate through the bridge so that you maintain control of the vehicle because acceleration is actually the only force that you can apply that that might actually get you somewhere. So. uh but then after that, I decided the mayor was right. We should have just stayed home. It doesn't have anything to do with our ability or inability to drive in the snow. It's everybody else's, and it's just safer if everybody's off the roads. So It's all good. We've got some cool stuff found to go through today, John. In fact, we have a lot of cool stuff found to we go through today. we got a pile. Yeah. So we better get to it. I agree. We're going to start with one that uh, I'm going to see if I can keep talking and, and all of that through the show. We'll see how we do. I, I survived CES. Uh, without getting sick, and I guess something on the way home from uh, from from Mexico, I was fine for a couple of days, and then I had like a sore throat right after we finished the show the other day, and it sort of morphed into this. But it's just a head cold; it's all fine. Just makes breathing tough, but you know we'll make it. Uh, we'll start with one that is fun to say, and it's called Huff Duffer. Jason uh, writes; he said it essentially. It's at HuffDuffer dot com. It essentially allows you to create your own podcast feed by taking audio files found online and huff duffing them into your own RSS feed uh, that you can then add to, you know, your podcast app of choice. You could even add it to iTunes if, uh, if you wanted. And so, uh, so you can huff duff. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's what all the cool kids are doing these days. It's better than just plain old huffing. Uh, that's for sure. So yeah, huff duffer.com. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Do you have anything to add to that for me, John? <laughs> I just crack up because, you know, you look at uh, certain um, uh, consumer products that have a warning on yeah. them, um, you know, telling you not to do that sort of thing. That's right. And, that's um, right. That's all I'll say about that. All right. Yeah, well, then don't, we don't huff kids. No, no, definitely not. Uh, moving on to Greg here. Uh, Greg brings us an app. He said uh, called Trash It. It's awesome for deleting stubborn trash. I threw away an in-progress time machine file and couldn't empty the trash no matter what I did. Uh, I ran terminal commands, read articles, uh, tried all kinds of things. Nothing would delete this one file until I used Trash It. And, uh, and that's at No Name Scriptware, and I believe that's Donationware. So, uh, so you can check that out. And then, uh, because we're having some fun with it, uh, John, why don't you take one that sounds just like trash it, but is different. I'm not going to trash it, Dave. I'm going to bash it. That's right. Uh, and this comes from, I believe, a different Jason. Um, so he gave us cool stuff found called bash it, which you can find at github.com slash bash dash it slash bash dash it. And it is a collection of community bash commands and scripts. It includes auto completion, themes, aliases, custom functions. 
and so on. And I don't think I need to say much more. Bash, of course, being, um, if you go into the terminal uh, on any uh, Unixy operating system, you're going to be running a, something called a shell, which processes what you type in. And Bash is the one that many people like to use, and I believe is the default under the current um, Mac operating system. That's right. Uh, yeah. And so that's good because sometimes you, uh, you know, you don't want to read the manual. You, you may want to use these guys and, and they will provide you with a dandy script or two to do some incredibly useful things. So hats off to Jason for that. And then yeah. Dave, I think I'm on a roll here. So you cued me up for a bunch of good stuff here. I did. So, it's uh, better for you to talk than me. Or it's better for me if you talk. Well, whatever it is. Talk. Yeah. Do you have do you have your tea? I do. Oh, good. Okay. Some nice herbal tea or something like yeah. that. Yeah. It can soothe your throat. Yeah. But um here's a bunch that um came from various sources or things that we just weren't able to get to. So um I'm gonna tell you about them. So we had one question in the past, Dave, and people were asking, how can I remotely support my pals with ios and normally this is a difficult task and that you have to just you know speak to each other and you can't show each other what what's happening unless you use facetime i guess that's one way to do it uh, i suppose that's actually a, a, a mini tip or a, a, a tangential tip you know if you're trying to help somebody that's running ios if you can facetime with them uh, and see their screen but team viewer so this is a product uh that when you're running on OS 10 allows you pretty much full control of the remote system. Uh, they do offer a version under iOS, but I think inherent to iOS, because iOS is a subset of OS 10 and has some limitations, you're not going to get the full experience. So if you, uh, so you run the team viewer, uh, control application, I'll say on your OS 10 machine. But then if you run team viewer quick support for ios um you go through the same motions in that you know you fire it up on uh on your ios machine you, you get this uh you know multi-digit code and then the person on the other end enters that multi-digit code and you can't do everything but you can do more than if you weren't running team viewer so you can actually view the capabilities of the remote uh system really? uh you can yeah, no, it's uh, pretty cool. This is Try it this out. is amazing. Yeah, I mean, it. it I, I, yeah, yeah. Keep going. Keep, yeah. All right. So the thing is, you, when you run it and you connect to the person on the other end, so you can see the capabilities of their device. Um, rather than a remote control, what it does. So this is kind of a hack, but I think it's it's just the nature of iOS. You can tell the person on the other end. You can send them a prompt saying, "Okay, hold down these keys and take a screenshot." Uh-huh. And then the person on the other end can view it. So I think that's the best you're going to get in supporting somebody running iOS. Still, that's super helpful. I mean, you know, given the limitations that you can't remote control iOS, this is really smart. Huh. I see here it says you can even add email accounts and configure things that way. Uh, yeah, they, they yeah. And there's a few other things. Email accounts. I think you can uh, manipulate Wi-Fi settings. You can you can do a few other things. Um the good news is for non-commercial purposes, uh, TeamViewer uh, for, for anybody is uh, is free. If you are using it, you know, if, if you are a uh, Mac or iOS uh, support type of person and you are using for commercial purposes, sure. they do ask you to throw them some dough. Uh, but I think it's fairly reasonable. But I just want to throw that out there because I knew it 
came up in the past and then we just weren't able to get to nice it. Fine, man. Yeah. Ran out of time. So, uh, if you got friends or family or anybody that needs iOS help, uh, team viewer, quick support for iOS is one way to go. I like it. And then the next one here, Dave, I believe this is something. So, uh, Hats off to our friend Allison Sheridan because I believe she posted this at one point. And I'm not sure if this will help you, Dave, with your um, wireless connection woes, but um, this is a support article uh, that our friends at Apple offer. And it says how iOS decides which wireless network to auto join. And I don't know if you looked at the article, but it, it gets into pretty deep technical detail. And maybe it doesn't address your concern, which uh, or, or your situation, which sounds to be, uh, you know, iCloud. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, mysterious yeah. behavior. But um, but this is a, a, an article that Apple has that, that explains to you um, how iOS decides what the heck to connect to. Um, so it may not solve your problem, but it, it, it will certainly help people that are just wondering how or why am I connecting to this with it's, my it's, iOS device? It's interesting, too, that the the path that it takes, right? Because it I mean, it talks about um, it start, it has an order, right? It, it, it'll try to join the private network that it most recently joined. If it can't find that, it'll find a private network that it knows about. And then if it can't find that, it'll find what it calls a hotspot network, which is an kind of an open authentication network. And even within that there's, there's different categories. So if you have two private networks and one has, or if you have three and one has no password, one has WEP and one has WPA, it'll actually try to join them in reverse order. It'll join the WPA one first, then the WEP one, and then it'll fall back to the unsecure or open one. But but that's separate from the hotspot thing, which it, it kind of categorizes differently. Very, very interesting. Uh, cool stuff. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks to uh, to you and to Allison for for finding that. that. That's killer, man. Yeah. And I think it does it smart. It does it from most secure to, yeah. you know, as you pointed out, WEP. I mean, you know, which nobody <laughs> these days should be using. But hey, if that's. What you got, it's better than no security. Right, right. Uh, perhaps. Um, and then another one. So this uh, it, it was actually brought to my attention, and this is an iOS app. Uh, it's also a website. Um, but my friend Jody, our friend Jody, or my friend Jody, yeah, she's our friend, um, uh, who's a listener and, and does a lot of Mac and uh, uh, other support work, uh, pointed out this app, uh, and it's called Down Detector, and it's an iOS app. And what does it do? Well, you know how you may have that question, gee, is this website or web service or whatever down just for me? Uh. Well, this is the app that answers this question. So this is a platform, and they offer, again, both a web page and an iOS app that will, uh, so apparently they, they take a combination, as far as I can tell, of both, they will poll other sites and also take reports from uh, uh, people that use the site and basically say, yep, Yahoo Mail is down or AOL is down or Apple something is down. Uh, they have a whole boatload of, of sites that they monitor for uh, for being up or down. Cool. So uh, if you're wondering if it's just you, this is something that will tell you if it is. <laughs> That's awesome. If it is just you, then I, I, I'm not sure what to say. Right. Uh, turn it off. Turn it off. Then on again, I, I would say is probably the, yeah. the first thing. I do. It's not. It's never bad <laughs> advice. That's right. 
Okay. And then again, another, I, I, I forgot the person that, that mentioned this to me, but, but, but this I think is pretty killer, especially with El Capitan and the whole uh, system integrity protection deal. So as some of you may know, but if you don't know, El Capitan is uh, quite a bit more strict about what kernel extensions it will load. And unfortunately, for those of us that are fans of something called SAT-SMART, which is a driver, so SMART is a way to monitor the condition of your drive. But one, it's an up and down thing, which uh, I think we've pretty much concluded is kind of useless. But it also lets you dig into uh, a lot of statistics that your drive records about what's happening with it as far as uh, you know, good things and bad things. I mean, any, anything from the temperature to... Uh, how many read errors, write errors, stuff like that. But the thing is, the driver, this only occurs under OS X with drives that are on your SATA bus. You cannot do this normally with Mac OS X under, uh, with external drives like mm. USB or Firewire. Um, well, some group here, uh, and you know, of course we will uh, post a link to the site, but some group decided to take the source code for this and actually sign it so that this driver will now load. Oh, nice. Hey, that's under El Capitan. So if you want to find out the smart status of drives that are outside of your Mac connected via, again, either USB or I guess Thunderbolt or any external interface, um, these guys did it. So they, Thanks, took, they took essentially an open source uh, driver and and signed it under their umbrella so that El Capitan would run it. Correct. That's pretty cool. That's um that's that's nice of them to have done that. That's a, what a great idea. Yeah. And I think if you go to the site, they also sell a uh, uh, you know a product. Uh, uh, it's called Drive DX. Sure. But, um, you know they they claim, and I'll have to give it a whirl. I I don't think I've ever looked at it, but you know they say it's the most advanced drive health diagnostic and monitoring tool. And I think. You know, I think in the past people have submitted reports using this tool and it does. Uh, sure. Uh, I, I, I hate to say the word smart, but it's smart in that. the So the smart status, as I mentioned, is kind of useless in that, you know, typically when things are dying, it doesn't say things are dying. I believe that this is a piece of software that will look at the individual parameters and say, you know what? These things are kind of out of whack. I think your drive is dying, even though smart says it's not. So, right. No, 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 uh, of course. But it's it's good so, to be able to to get more diagnostics out of it. That's great, man. Yeah, so these guys, um, hats off to them for, uh, so I guess versus the original author, they took their certificate, signed it, and now it will, the kernel extension will load under El Capitan. Awesome. So in the last show, I talked a little bit more about traveling because I just got back from Mexico and uh, obviously going to Europe this summer, as I mentioned. And several of you wrote in uh, about... Uh, iOS translation software. Neil was the first to, to suggest an app called speak and translate from Apollon apps. Uh, he says, I originally got this because I started work uh, in the UK with a lot of Japanese speakers that were kind of meeting me there. He says with this app, you can type or speak and it will translate from English to Japanese and Japanese to English or English to Spanish or English to French and, and back and forth. And he says, uh, so I put it to the test with your translation. You were trying to do well in Mexico and it seems to work. Okay. Uh, he said he even got the correct word for, uh, for toilet plunger when he put that in as a, uh, <laughs> Desas, desascatasor de 
Desescadador de Inodoros, which I believe is what you were saying on the podcast. Yeah, and that's what I was trying to say. Easier said than done. But uh, but yeah, all good stuff. So thank you, Neil, for and everybody actually for sending that in. Google, you know, the Google Translate app it does quite a bit of that um, and uh, and will do it uh, verbally as well. They all require if speak and translate and the Google app uh, require a data connection to be active uh, for this, which makes sense. But I would love to find an app, even if I have to you know, download a huge offline dictionary that uh, that would let me do this for French in particular while we're uh, while we're over there this summer, just in case we don't have data access. So I'm, I'm still in search of that. But speak and translate in the Google app, uh, which also includes the um, the 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 thing where you can show it up to a sign that they they acquired that. And it translates on the fly in the middle. It's just brilliant. So good, good stuff. Uh, I did do that. Yeah, that's right. So WordLens, even though Word, I have the app, it's yeah, it been doesn't deprecated. exist anymore. That's right. It's just well, in, it's for well, free. It's free inside of the Google uh, Translate app is the right way to get it. And it's and then you don't have to pay for it and, and you're good to go. So yeah, Google, yeah and Google I used it the other once. day. Yeah, somebody in my thread posted a sign in Arabic and I was like, huh, what's that saying? Yeah, when I ran Google Translate and clicked on a camera icon, it said, oh, would you like to download the Arabic to English yeah. language pack? And I'm like, yep. And it wasn't that big. It was only a couple of megabytes. Uh, yeah. I was actually kind of surprised that it wasn't huge. Yeah, the word, the, 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 in the Google Translate stuff, the word lens thing, which is the, the, uh, the camera thing, uh, that works offline. But the speak and translate and even just lookups don't. So I feel like it we're close. There's got to be an app that exists. So we'll, well it sends it to their server farm, right? Not I, I tried it. That's what I was just or the saying. Voice data. The yeah. voice data it, it sends. Got yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of travel, Scott has a suggestion. He says uh, he found he actually was asking for questions if we had any experience with it but i don't think we do but uh he found this thing called the hutu wireless travel router h-o-o-t-o-o and again i think it's i feel like it's something we've mentioned before but uh but good stuff and it's a portable router it's got a battery in it uh it'll do a single stream of 802.11 n on 2.4 gigahertz but it'll also do bng and uh, and also has an Ethernet port on it. And so it can power itself. It's got a USB port. You can power your uh, iOS devices and uh, and it'll it'll do routing either from Ethernet. It'll do WDS uh, if you want to extend a, an existing wireless network in a hotel or uh, it can just create a, a network, a kind of an ad hoc LAN that doesn't have any Internet connectivity. So lots of different options with this thing and pretty darn cool. Uh, comes in a little, it's just like a little tower. So we'll put oh, yeah. a link to, we'll put a link to that in the show notes too. Yeah. Who to we've mentioned because yeah. I got their USB three hub. That's why the name sounded familiar, which is a pretty dandy hub. So it's not only USB three hub, but it also has um, charging ports, both regular and high current uh, right. for iPad and all that. And yeah, so far I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, Pretty happy with it, even though it's currently not plugged into a USB three machine. Sure, but it will be someday. Sure, but um, yeah, they're a, a pretty pretty hip vendor. Yeah, as far as I can see, and yeah, I'll have to check out check out this uh, travel router. Yeah, yeah, it's cool if stuff. I yeah, travel. All right, Steve. Uh, Steve writes while we're on the travel thing. He says uh, during 
episode 588, you spoke of a Europe trip. He said, we went to UK two years ago and never had to use Verizon data. We signed up for free Wi-Fi using a service called The Cloud and got the The Cloud app from iTunes. He said, we also use Skype to remain in contact with people in the US. The easiest way I found to disable data is to use airplane mode and then turn on Wi-Fi. Uh, he says, that way I wasn't using anything like that. So yeah, so we will put a link to The Cloud and he says, uh, and it's at thecloud.net for those of you that are um, listening and not looking at links while you listen. And uh, and then Steve says that, uh, where is it here? He said, the other cool thing I found is called City Maps to Go. It's another iOS app. He said, the app allows you to download offline maps and information to your iDevice and use your GPS to help guide you to locations. You can create places and lists. They also have maps for specific locations that you download before your trip or apps for cities that you're going to. So we will put that out there uh, as well. So very, very good stuff. Thank you for uh, thank you for all of that, Steve. It's uh, it's handy. I love all this stuff. Uh, while I was at CES, speaking of traveling, uh, there was one thing that I saw that I did not mention. And it was something called the Avigant Glyph, G-L-Y-P-H. And the, the, the website is avigant.com, A-V-E-G-A-N-T, which I'm told is a, a mashup of the names of the founders. Anyway, this is, as they call it, headphones for your eyes. Uh, it's got... Uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to get this wrong because my, uh, my head is foggy from having this cold, but it's, it's a set of headphones, right? And it looks like a normal set of headphones and they're actually JBL headphones, great quality sound, and you can use them that way. And then you take the, uh, the, what would be the band, you know, they're over the ear headphones. So you take the band that would go over the top of your head and you flip it down and put it in front of your eyes. And there's two little, uh, lenses that pop out and these things will now draw straight on your retinas. So you get this killer video image. Uh, you plug it in HDMI to your iPhone, right? So you can watch a movie, but you're totally aware of your surroundings. It's not, it's not a VR experience. It's a screen. It's like you're watching a movie screen. And of course, because it's in uh, stereo vision, you can watch 3D with this if you want, but it also works totally fine with your normal 2D movies that you would have on your iPhone. Uh, the, 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 the picture is just fantastic uh, because you're, you know, it's like you're looking at a, at a big movie screen, but you can see above and below it. So it, I just happened to be testing it out at a restaurant and somebody came around to, to like hand me something. One of the wait staff came around to hand me something. And it was a very natural experience to just take, something from her and, and, and deal with that even while the movie was going. And it was like, wow, I could use this on an airplane or something. Uh, very, very cool tech. And like I said, the speakers sounded great. The, the visuals were outstanding. Uh, really, really cool stuff. So it's worth checking out. It's not cheap. I think it's uh, uh, retail on its, uh, I think about 700 bucks, but, uh, but very cool tech. So I couldn't, I couldn't avoid talking about it. So I wanted to, wanted to make sure I shared it's good stuff. Tony writes in episode 587, you talked about airplay and streaming sound to different speakers and getting it in sync. He says, I use airfoil from rogue amoeba 
in that application, you can select which application on your computer you want to send audio from, for example, iTunes. Then you can select which AirPlay device to send the audio to. You can also select more than one device to send audio to at the same time. And with that, because you're not changing your system sound, you don't get any of the other system sounds or Skype ringing or beeps or any of that stuff because you're just capturing the audio from iTunes in this example and sending it out to AirPlay, which then, or to Airfoil, which then sends it to your AirPlay speakers. So yeah, you're totally right. I don't know why uh, Airfoil didn't come top of mind. You're, it's absolutely the right app for that, for the solution to that problem. Yeah. Now, do they handle, because I remember that episode and, and I misheard what you said. Okay. At first I thought you said AirPlay doesn't do stereo. And that's not what you said. You, you said AirPlay doesn't do a matched pair. It doesn't do wireless stereo, right? It, it'll right. happily so, send a stereo signal, but only to one output. And then it's up to you to have two separate speakers. But you can't take two AirPlay devices and say, okay, one of you is left and one of you is right. Correct. Because I actually, I'm like, I think I misheard Dave and I actually, so, so I don't know if you can guess the song that I use. So I have wired speakers plugged into my airplay destination, which, you know, I have two. Yeah. Um, but I plugged into the, uh, I'll guess the uh, song. Uh, go Pink Floyd's money. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> to me, that is the best song. Yeah. To test stereo separation, because it is clear as anything that you are getting something out of the right or left channel. And that's what I did. And I'm like, okay. And then I listened further in the podcast. And yeah, what you said is, yeah, AirPlay does not allow you to choose one wireless speaker as a left and one as a right. And you're absolutely correct. Right. That's beyond their capability. It's just beyond Uh, the capability. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. With the Apple technology, with others like Sonos. Yeah, that that's their thing. Right. And and actually, there's quite a bit of uh, Bluetooth speakers nowadays that will let you pair them up. Uh, the new JBL, the whole new line from JBL actually lets you pair them up even with speakers of different sizes. But if they're speakers of the same make and model, then you can choose to do left and right. Or you can just do, like I said, if they're two different sizes, you can do a mono pair, but it's a synced pair. So, yeah, it's 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 cool. It's cool. All right. We got a couple more left. I feel like we can get these done. uh, Get these done quickly here. Chuck, uh, he says, so I had a problem that this app called upload cam at upload cam app solves in a particular way. My problem is that I'm a property manager and routinely take photos of apartments and homes with my iPhone. It really clogs up my camera roll with pictures of dirty toilets and stuff. I was looking for a way to take (laughs) photos that did not go into my camera roll, but were still automatically uploaded to Dropbox or Google Drive. Well, Upload Cam does exactly that. It's a camera app that allows you to take photos that bypasses the camera roll and goes straight to Dropbox or Google Drive. Perfect for anyone who uses their phone for work. I love it. Yeah, if you're going and you have a very specific thing that you're taking pictures of that you wouldn't just be part of your normal camera um, you know, process. It's great. It's uh, it's one of those when there's a will, there's a way. And I, th- these are the kind of apps that I love. So upload cam. Good. Uh, two more. One. Uh, the first is from Tannel and Tannel writes. He said, uh, I recently discovered this cool Apple mail add on. He said it was called Evermail, which was the old version. There's an, it, it, it's now been replaced. They had a, the company that makes it, finegeist.io, 
makes a, a series of mail plugins and they've now bundled them all together into one thing called mail Butler. Uh, he said Evermail allowed you to create Evernote notes from the mail app and it even links the note back to the original email uh, that it's true. And, and mail Butler will do this and a whole lot more. Uh, I added mail Butler uh, to my, to my, uh, uh, to, you know, I added the plugin just to test it out. I actually was having trouble. I, I linked it to my Evernote account, but I couldn't figure out how to get mail Butler to send notes to Evernote. I'm sure I'm just missing something, but, uh, but it got in my way a lot. So I actually uninstalled mail Butler, uh, or tried to, I think it's still getting in my way, but, uh, but it's worth checking out. It's, um, you know, we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes. It's, it's I love mail plugins. So, uh, even though this one was kind of annoying to me, um, I, you know, it's, it, the concept is great that you can extend mail and, and maybe I'm just missing something on it. I'll, I'll blame my head cold. I'm sure. I'm sure that's all it is. Lastly, John, I can't believe it's taken us this long to mention it, but I've been using it for a while. Default folder is available for El Capitan users. It's out of beta. It's released. It works great. I have it on all my Macs. I'm very, very happy with it. So uh, if you and what default folder does is it enhances open and save dialogues. So when you go to open a file or save a file on your Mac, you normally get that little dialogue. Well, this adds more stuff to that, including more favorite folders. It shows you recent folders that you can go to. You can rename folders from here. You can do all kinds of different stuff. I, I it, it's one of those apps that I don't like to live without. And, uh, and it's totally available and works great in El Capitan. Now they had to rewrite it. Uh, I think because of system integrity protect protection uh, or something Absolutely. related to that. Yeah. I know I'm with you and actually, uh, yeah. in my Twitter feed, I actually, uh, so January 11th, 2016 is when they released. Mm. So I know you're playing with the betas. I have mixed feelings about betas and, and I decided to wait for them to, to get it right. Yeah, as soon as they released it on January 11th, uh, I did that as well. I, I put it on all the machines that, that I yeah. could. The nice thing is that I, I do believe, so So they also, you know, as anybody who, well, if you're releasing software, make it easy for your paying customers to upgrade. And the thing is, if you are a prior user, I believe the upgrade price is fourteen ninety five. Otherwise, I think it's 30 something. Okay. Uh, but it's well worth it for, for the uh, functionality. But yeah, they had to do a boatload of work to get it to work under the limitations of El Capitan. Yeah. So I am totally default folder 10 savvy uh, oh, as well. Yeah, it's good stuff. Very good stuff. All right. Uh, you know, with that, John, I want to uh, talk about our, uh, our sponsors. How's that sound? So do, so do I. All right. The first sponsor I want to talk about is Harry's at harrys.com. Now, you folks know I just got back from Mexico where Lisa and I went down to see fish for a couple of days. And I knew that while I was there, I was going to have to shave. Yeah, I know. I was supposed to be down there being a dirty hippie and all that. I can only get away with that for so long before it starts to drive me crazy. And then I need to shave. Now, I've admitted on this show that in the past, I've traveled with my electric razor. But I couldn't do it this time. I've gotten so used to the great shave that I get from Harry's. It's the best shave I've ever had in my life. I just didn't want to bring it. Plus, the electric takes up some room. And we were doing carry-on only so that dealing with customs and all that didn't have the added delays of baggage. 
Well, I remembered that my Harry's starter kit comes with a travel cover for the razor. So I put a new blade on my razor. I put the travel cover on and I put the razor in my bag. I also put the 3.4 ounce tube of Harry's shave cream in my carry on because I got to deal with liquids. And yes, the TSA allows 3.4, not three, 3.4 ounces because that's a hundred milliliters. That's what Mexico allows. That's what Europe allows. So the TSA also allows 3.4. So I was good to go. Then while I was down there after about two days of being there, cause I shaved right before we left, I had a nice shave in the afternoon before we went to dinner and it's so clean, so smooth, a brand new Harry's blade. Oh, it was absolutely delicious. You can do this for yourself, folks. And here's the thing. It doesn't cost you much at all. It's the best shave I've had in my life and also the least expensive. Their Truman kit starts at 15 bucks, right? That's a handle, three blades, tube of either cream or gel, and the travel cover. But you don't pay 15 bucks. You use the coupon code SHAVE five off that shave the number five off to save five bucks you shave five bucks off the price you pay 10 bucks free shipping and you're done you got to check this out harrys.com coupon code shave five off our thanks to harry's for sponsoring this episode our second sponsor is another company i love squarespace at squarespace.com slash mgg We love to get geeky on this show, but the reason we get geeky is to make things better, right? Sometimes you got to dig in so that when you need to work with your stuff, it just works. We dig into routers because we want our wireless to work better. Well, Squarespace digs into the nitty gritty of the website stuff so your web publishing life can be better. This is how it works. And you don't want to manage your own web server. Trust me. It's not economical for you to do that anymore. Squarespace is the way to go. Not only do they manage the serving, but they manage the design of the website and the editing. It's like all in one. In fact, it's all in one. You go there, you pick a template. If you don't want to get geeky, you don't have to. You put your content in and you publish. Done. If you want to get geeky, you can do it in the ways that matter to you. Let's say You like to take pictures and you want to post a gallery of your pictures. You want to get really geeky about that. Go ahead. That's what they're there for. If you have some HTML and some CSS that you want to get geeky with, you can do that too, but you don't have to, you get to pick and choose where you get geeky. They also have some great iOS apps, right? They have the blog app I've mentioned before. That's where I post most of the stuff. I can edit right there, publish, add tags, everything. They have a great portfolio app. If you're someone that's put pictures up on Squarespace, well, you might want to have those pictures on your phone. The portfolio app will actually sync it and make sure you have exactly the same things in both places. They've got a metrics app so you can check your stats, all of this stuff. You got to check it out. Squarespace.com slash MGG is where you start. I mentioned it was economical. Well, coupon code MGG saves you 10%. Their prices start at eight bucks a month. That's before your MGG 10% discount. So you really, there's no reason. Just check it out. Squarespace.com slash MGG. They give you a 14 day free trial. Then it's coupon code MGG saves you 10%. 
Our thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode. Hi, John and Dave. McKay from Alberta, Canada here. Um, I've been having some frustrating CPU usage issues with Safari inside of OS X El Capitan uh, 10.11.2. Um, these issues I have noticed started about a month ago, and I've gone through several troubleshooting steps to try to alleviate the problems uh, for me, um, but they, I have been unsuccessful. So I submit my question to you and the community. So the symptom is that whenever I open Safari on either my MacBook Air or my Mac Mini, um, they will consume 100% of a CPU core. Uh, so my Mac Mini, which thinks it's an 8-core, that works out to one-eighth of the total CPU ceiling. On the MacBook Air, which thinks it's a quad-core, works out to one-quarter of my total CPU ceiling which, as you can imagine, generates a fair amount of heat and destroys battery life quite a bit. Um, so what I've done to alleviate this is I've gone in and deleted my reading list, reset uh, all the browser caches, and wiped my browser history back to the end of time. That didn't uh, seem to solve anything, so I went into the users slash library slash application uh, support slash Safari and nuked all of Safari's uh, preference files, and then relaunched Safari and let it rebuild those, and that didn't, uh, didn't help anything, still ran at 100%. Um, I went and deleted all of my extensions inside of Safari, relaunched it, that didn't help, and then last night I went and did a over-the-top OS X reinstall, so not a nuke and pave, just a an in-place OS X reinstall, and that also did not solve my problem. Safari still runs at 100%. Um, the only remedy I've ever been able to find is that if I launch Safari in a new user, um, that does solve the problem. All right. I think that's enough for us to go on here, John. So this is, hmm. yeah, this is interesting. Uh, clearly, Safari is trying to do something. The question is what? And once we answer that what, well, then we know what to what to target. Um, the fact that it doesn't happen in a new user account is is good, at least in terms of the theory that I kind of have as I as I listen and, and ponder McKay's issue here. I'm thinking, you know, he deleted the reading list from inside Safari. He deleted his bookmarks from inside Safari. Uh, he also deleted them from outside Safari in terms of blowing away the preference files. But I'm wondering about iCloud and is iCloud trying and failing to merge bookmarks. And so there's one thread that's just constantly running as Safari goes, trying to integrate this stuff and, and failing or, or never succeeding, I guess is, is probably a better way to say it. Uh, and if that's the case, well, then that makes sense. So turning off iCloud uh, for Safari in system preferences, if you go to system preferences, iCloud, uh, there is a checkbox for Safari there. Just try turning that off and see what happens. Uh, also checking the console while this is happening uh, to see you know, what Safari reports as you launch it, it's probably going to say something. Um, and, you know, that's that. I, I don't, I, 
there is one other thing I want to add, but I don't think it's McKay's problem, but just in a general sense. In fact, I, I ran into this or my wife ran into this this week. She was having her computer was being really slow, but then she realized it was only Safari that was being really slow. And she had restarted and tried all this stuff. And finally, uh, she had had a couple of tabs open and one of them was a tab with some like recipe or instructions for something that she was just keeping open. And she thought maybe it's that page. And so she copied the text out of it to save whatever she wanted to save and then closed that tab. Everything got better immediately. I don't think that's McKay's issue, but again, you know, along these same lines that, you know, that, that is the type of thing that could cause this too. So those are my thoughts. What do you think, John? Here's my thought. Um, Activity monitor is your friend. Sometimes you have to coerce it into giving you the information you need. And the one thing I would suggest, and I just verified this in my mini. So if you run Activity Monitor, you select the CPU tab, which is where the problem here lies. Um, the default view is typically all processes. But what I would suggest is you may want to click on the view menu and say all processes hierarchically. Because then what it'll do um, to a better extent than other views is it will show Safari, but then below it, it will show the sub-processes that are running under Safari. Um, and it may include actually uh, URLs or websites you're connected to or other services that Safari is taking advantage of. Like, for example, here, Dave, I'm looking, and right now I see that Safari is not only so I see a little, you know, little puzzle piece cube next to websites that I currently have open. But I also see uh, com.apple.safari.searchhelper, com.apple.safari.imagedecoder. I also see a revision D process, a recent D process, and a raccoon process, which I believe has to do with um, uh, .mac or, huh? or uh, back to my Mac. So... Um, there is a way to get activity monitor under the CPU tab using this particular view to give you the raccoon process isn't raccoon revision D and recent D are not part of Safari. Those are, you're just, yes, I understand that, but, okay. I, but I'm seeing them under Safari. No, so. you're seeing them under Safari because alphabetically they fall under Safari. Well, no, I'm seeing them under the Safari tab. So I believe they are, I don't think so. Twist it closed and they'll, and they'll stay there. Cause I'm seeing the same thing as you. Okay. No, you're right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay, but there, but, but um, there are these com.apple.safari and com.apple.audio things that live under Safari for sure. Yeah, like I see two. So, so again, the ones I mentioned. So there's a com.apple.safari search helper and image decoder, and you may see other things. So thank you for catching that. So, yeah, no um, but um, but this, uh, I would say, more detailed view of of what Safari is doing CPU wise may help you zero in on what is actually chewing uh, up that one core, because I, I would say in my humble opinion, that is not normal. No, <laughs> I like this. I never thought about using it. This is, this is far more useful than it used to be um, because, well, largely because of the, the security that Safari has added and therefore broken out, you know, every web page and every little thing into its own little uh, separate process. Right. So this is, we can thank sandboxing for, for this visibility here. Yeah, that's good, man. Sure. I like it. Any other thoughts for, uh, for McKay on this one? 
that's 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 about it, man. Right. Uh, Safari. Uh, of course, <laughs> the other suggestion is maybe try Firefox. Well, we I gotta to say, man, like well, that though. Yeah, but you know there is an issue. I I don't know if you've seen it as of late. Uh, this is kind of timely. Have you had a problem with t.co links? So uh, Twitter um, hands off uh, links within many Twitter clients to a t.co service, and uh, there is actually people have acknowledged that there is a problem with WebKit and whatever the heck uh, Twitter is doing with these links, and that only with Safari. Will you just sit there for an eternity before they either time out or whatever, and then you reload and they work? But it's a, mm. it's a, I've, I don't know if you've run into it. I, no. I, I don't know how, how, no, there's some articles out there, but, but it's definitely a problem. Um, and it's only Safari though, because, you know, somebody mentioned it to me and I'm like, huh, that's kind of weird. You know, because my default, like with many people, is when you click on a URL, it opens in Safari and Safari would just, you know, sit there doing nothing. Or time out. And then I'm like, well, let me open this t.co link, which is, you know, the, the shortener that Twitter uses. I'm like, let me open it in uh, Firefox. And it's like, bam, loads immediately. And I'm like, okay, that's a Safari problem. I'll see if I can find an article. Okay, but, cool. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, all right. Ken writes and says, I'm hoping you can direct me to a fix here with mail, which has been getting progressively worse. Uh, my main gripe is that the search function couldn't find its butt with both hands. For example, I want to search my phone bill email and search via the company name, and it finds one from October, but the one from January, not at all. I manually search, and there it is. Same email address, same label, and I'm stunned. Does anyone else have issues deleting mails? He says, uh, for some reason, I delete my junk mail on OS, my OS 10 Mac, and then the in the and the deleted items folder, and within hours they are back. It re-downloads them. My mail is all IMAP and is accessed via iCloud, via P, uh, via the iCloud website, via PC at work, my iPhone 4S, my iPad, and a MacBook at different times. All looks okay in the settings, and Googling has revealed a few people with this type of issue. But the fixes range from cross your fingers, suck it up, or just ignore it. Surely it's more scientific than that. So yeah, I've got a couple of thoughts on this. We're always up for a challenge here. In terms of searching, Mail uses both Spotlight and then its own index, which they call the Envelope Index, to keep track of messages. The issue that that you're you're describing there, Ken, uh, is likely with Spotlight, but clearing and rebuilding both of those things won't hurt. Um, the easiest way to do it is with Onyx or the the sister utility called Maintenance. Quit all your apps, uh, except Onyx, and most certainly make sure you quit Mail. Uh, Then go to the Maintenance Rebuilding tab in either of those apps and make sure you check the Spotlight Index and also Mail's Mailboxes. Uh, You can check other things to rebuild at the same time if you like. Just make sure those two are checked. Then click Execute uh, and follow the instructions after it finishes, which often, uh, especially with a Spotlight Rebuild, uh, requires a reboot. I'm hoping that deals with it. That's what's dealt with it for me that, you know, mail searches uh, those things doesn't actually search the messages. Uh, It leaves that up to the indexes, indexing engines to search those messages. So rebuilding both of those, hopefully will do it. Um, As for your deleted and returning junk, I've seen this. Uh, It may be that you have 
a device logged into your IMAP account that's sort of re- rejecting the deletes by by putting the, that stuff back. If you don't have anything else logged in actively, you know, via IMAP to your iCloud account, uh, I, it, check it on the server. Try deleting, try making sure nothing is logged in, including the Mac that that you know you're having the trouble with, and try deleting them from the server, like in the in the web interface, and see if that helps. Um, it, it again, it feels like you've got some issue with with mail. Uh, and, and it could be that this envelope index fix would, would fix that. It, it's, it is a, um, a one size f- or one, one fix fixes most, uh, kind of solution to mail. If that envelope in- index is screwed up, you, uh, things aren't happy. One note when you, you know, you quit mail, you re- you delete this envelope index when it comes back in to rebuild it, it will take a little bit of time as mail goes through and indexes all of your stuff. So, um, be prepared for that but hopefully that gets it going i don't know what else do you think i'm kind of with you i mean there's the the thing that concerns me is that there's two places that you can search now do you know so you can either search within mail and i believe that uses only the envelope index is that correct i think so or you can use or you can use spotlight sure i think as you pointed out, I believe uses both databases or tries to use both the spotlight database and the envelope index database. So, I mean, one strategy, if you want to find something that's in a mail message is to try both. Um, and, and as you suggested, try to rebuild both. Yeah. And, uh, it doesn't, it typically doesn't hurt to rebuild both. So now, I mean, what, what leads me to kind of a, fist shake is that you know there's always this constant need for us to uh because i'll call this a a cache of sorts right yeah (laughs) is that there's always this need no matter what operating system that these caches get screwed up or permissions are weird on them i mean that's another thing you know if you can't even fix the permissions but um yeah 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 i don't think it's a permissions thing i just these are indexes and like any database index they can get corrupted I mean, it, it happens uh, and it's uh, honestly, it's kind of a common thing. So it, it is a good first place to start. You got one for us, yeah. John? Um, you know, I think we're going to go to, and this is actually kind of timely. Uh, let's go to Darren. All right. I, 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 Darren brought up an interesting uh, question that has to do with the nuances of how your iDevices save their data. And I verified this at least for one app that I have. Okay. Um, and goodness, I don't have my response to him, but I will find it in my email. Okay. You want me to read so the question you, while you look in the email? So why don't you read the question and sure. then I will read my my uh, 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 well thought out response. Here you go. So go. Yeah. Darren uh, writes, I have a problem with an issue that I cannot resolve uh, with Google. He says, as you know, Circus Pony suddenly shut up shop and their excellent application notebook can no longer be purchased. They do offer a contact address and I was fortunate they responded. So to receive a link to an installer for the OS 10 version of the app. However, the iOS version is no longer available in the iTunes app store. I tried backing up and transferring all the apps from my iPad, including notebook to iTunes. 
Unfortunately, unfortunately, the only apps that are currently available in the App Store were transferred. Therefore, the iOS version of Notebook does not appear in the iPad app listing in iTunes. The only version of the iOS app of Notebook is on my iPad Air 2. Very soon, I will be replacing my iPad Air 2 with an iPad Pro, and I was wanting to install the iOS app of Notebook there. Do you know of any way that this can be done? I plan not to install all the apps as there are many I no longer use, so I do not want to use the entire install setup from the backup, if that is even possible, from an iPad Air to an iPad Pro. I'm hoping of a way to get the Notebook app onto the new iPad Pro once I set it up. And with that, John, I'll pass it back to you. (sighs) All right, I'm going to see. Mail is, uh, well, mail is, is, Doing what mail does. Um. <laughs> so here's, I, I have some. No, thoughts I'm going to offer this. Uh, well, okay. I'm going to offer the solution that I found. So, okay. um, in a nutshell, up oh, no, here it is. Okay, so I got the response. So, um, my well thought out and well researched response here uh, to Darren was as follows. I think the secret here is to make a backup of the device to iCloud instead. And I'm going to huh? tell you why I said that, Dave. Did you okay. say, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I don't think right. this is well, right. Well, uh, go ahead. I'm going to tell you why. You th- yeah, I'm going to tell you why I think it's right because I verified it, at least for one app that I have. So I looked at my environment, Dave, and I saw that I had an app called Flappy Bird. Remember Flappy Bird? I do. Yeah. And everybody loved Flappy Bird. And then the guy pulled it. Um, and then he put it, it back, though. Uh, not that I can find. There is an open source version, but okay. no, the, 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 the app from the original author is not in it's the app there. store. Okay. Got it. All right. So that's why I'm saying what I, what I, what I'm going to say here, I believe is, is uh, correct. Um, but no, it's no longer available uh, from the original author in the app store, but it is installed on my iPhone, uh, but not my iPad, Dave. So what I did is I went to my iPad and went to the app store and clicked on the purchased category. Then I went on the not on this iPad tab. And sure enough, Flappy Bird was listed. But here's the, the, the nuance that, that I think may be useful to Darren. It had a little cloud with a down arrow next, with a down arrow next to it, indicating to me that it was stored in an iCloud backup. He didn't, he didn't say he did an iCloud backup. He said he did an iTunes backup, which stores it locally. And as we've kind of touched on in the past, something has happened to iTunes backups from iOS devices. Something I, I, I got to stop you. You're correct. You're correct in that, because I have the same experience, right? You can download Flappy Bird uh, from the App Store only in my purchases tab, right? I can't get it any other way. But this has nothing to do with with backups because and I don't want to mislead people when you back up to iTunes or when you back up to iCloud your app binaries are not backed up ever they are only only the data from your apps is backed up to iCloud and to iTunes also at the same time you can have iTunes but not iCloud back up your 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 apps, it, it, it doesn't call it backing up. It calls transferring. It's transfer purchases. And one of the purchases that you can transfer over uh, to iTunes is your apps. But even then it gets a little weird because you might have, you know, with, with now with thin binaries, right? You might have a version on your iPhone of an app that doesn't include all the resources that it might need for your iPad or vice versa. 
So, uh, so that even gets a little weird. Although now I think you can download the full thick binary uh, from the store to your uh, to your device. But it, this has nothing to do with backups. This, but but you're right that your purchase history will show you things that are not available for others in the store now. And the icon that you're seeing with the little cloud and the down arrow, that's typical for any app that you have purchased, but is not on that device. It's coming not, not from a backup, but just from the store. Um, this I'm certain of because you're not, you're, you're not being charged backup space for your app binaries in either space, right? I mean, not against your iCloud storage and also not on your Mac. Your, your iTunes backups do not include enough space to take up the app binaries. It's only the app data that's there. Uh, okay. All right. All I'm saying is that... But you're right that your purchase in my, in is my, available. It, yeah. Right. So... Are, are you with me that this is the answer to his question? It is. I just, like I said, I didn't want to mislead people that, that iCloud is backing up your apps from your devices or iTunes is, but your, your path to solve this problem is correct. And hopefully notebook is one of these apps that's still available uh, from the store, even though the developer pulled it. But all right, well, I'm confused because what I'm saying is that the app in question that I restored from my iCloud backup, seeing the icon is not available in the app store. I got to stop you again. You you did not restore it from your iCloud backup. You restored it from the store, from your purchases tab in the store. So if you go and it's no different than if you go to, you know, if you go and buy an app brand new now on your phone, right. And then you pull up and it's going to download it to your phone. Right. And then you pull out your iPad and you go to uh, the, you know, the app store and you go to my purchases and you say not on this iPad because that's what you're on now. Mm-hmm. At the very top of the list, you're going to see that app that you just purchased with the little cloud and down arrow icon because it's mm-hmm. not yet on your iPad and you can download it to there and then and then you're good to go. What you're getting and, and this is this is I mean, it's a great find because I didn't think that this was available like Flappy Bird, right, was pulled from the store. But right. But I still see it and I can download it and install it on devices. Because um, you purchased it. Not because, because you backed I purchased it up, it. but because you purchased it. That's okay. the distinction I'm trying to make. So here. in Darren's case, because he purchased it, he should be able to restore it. Yes. Using the method I just described. Okay. Yes. All right. So my, my, okay. So my, my, your assumption about the backups, right? Exactly. Was incorrect. Mm-hmm. But the path works. the steps that I described are uh, okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I had no idea because I can see Flappy Bird and I, and it, and you're right. It's gone from the store, but I can see it and you can search, you know, you're not on this iPhone apps and all of that stuff. So yeah, that's handy. All right. So, so it's a, so, so what we're talking about is not a nature of iCloud backup, but it's a nature of how the app store works. If you purchase something at some point is uh, I yeah. just want to, yeah. I want to quantify. Well, we're, we're, okay. we're in guest territory here, but, and, and Alex in the chat room at MattGeekGab.com slash stream has a, a great point. He says, if it's pulled by the dev, then it can remain here. 
But if it's pulled by Apple because of some security reason, then his, pres- his uh, presumption is it would, hmm. it would not remain here. And I, I would tend to agree with that. Yeah. Okay. So because the dev pulled this, then Darren should be able to yep. going to the, 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 the place that we described. Okay. So it has nothing to do with iCloud, but it has to do with, um, did he ever, ever purchase it? That's right. And it sounds like he did. Yeah. Now th- there is a valid question as to whether that app would even run on an iPad pro, right? Because the developer never built it for the iPad pro. I mean, it, yeah, it's got limited shelf life, which is why potentially limited shelf life. There's no, I mean, there's no guarantees one way or another, which is why right. the developer doesn't offer it for sale anymore. Actually, there's, there's variety of reasons the developer doesn't offer it for sale anymore, but that would be one of them is they don't want to support okay. it. Yeah. Okay. Fun. So I, that is I, fun. I had, so I had the right answer for the wrong reason. Yeah, but that's okay. Right. That's, I mean, that's why I wanted to like just separate the two because it's a great, it's a great solution. I had no idea. I've always been sort of crazy about making sure I download everything to iTunes and then I, that backs up to my Synology so that I have every copy of every app for exactly this scenario so that I can go and find it in a, in a archive somewhere and, and then manually reinstall it or have iTunes reinstall it. But there may be an easier way. It's pretty good. I like it. I like the answer. I'm glad you, I'm glad you teed this one up, man. I had no idea. It's pretty good. It's good. Well, speaking of teeing up, yeah, go ahead. You want to, uh, yeah, take James. Yeah. All right. So James had a head scratcher and hopefully I got this one right or mostly right. But, um, so James says, hi guys. Hope the storms of late have not buried you alive. Nope. I'm, I'm, I'm dug out. I tried to add my old time machine backup to a new external hard drive by opening the backup step backup DB file in the finder window and dragging it to a new drive. Uh, having read something online saying that uh, this is how you could do it. He got a pop-up message saying the volume has the wrong case sensitivity for a backup. Do you know what this means or how to add an old backup to a new drive? So, um, one, your backup, the new backup drive could just be very sensitive to, to anything. And there's not much you can do about that. Yes, of course, I'm kidding. James, here's the answer. Um, number one, Apple has uh, anticipated that you or others may have this issue. And so what did they do? They wrote a support article titled Time Machine, How to Transfer Backups from a Current Backup Drive to a New Backup Drive. And I'm not going to read the whole article to you, but I, I, I'm almost certain, Dave, here is the problem. A time machine drive has to have certain, uh, a very specific format. One is that it has to be using a GUID partition. And another is, is it has to be formatted as Mac OS Extended journaled i'm almost certain the problem here is that one or both of those things are not in fact the format of the drive he's trying to copy all this stuff to or he hasn't copied everything over i'm kind of nervous about just copying over that folder because there's other invisible files and things like that so sure at the very least if you're going to copy a time machine thing again uh, uh, there are dot you know, if you go in the terminal and you look on a time machine drive, there are invisible or hidden directories. At the very least, I think you want to use something like carbon copy clone or something to copy things over. But number two, read this article that goes into the details about 
what you need to do. But the fact that it's com- complaining about you know cases would lead me to believe that the uh, uh, not the part- partition scheme, but more the uh, format is slightly incorrect. Yeah, it might be HFS plus case sensitive. That's what I'm thinking, and yeah. that's why it's, it's it's complaining. And for whatever reason, Time Machine doesn't like that specific uh, drive format. So we offer this article. Apple has thought about this and, and offer you. So, so uh, I mean, the good news is actually I hadn't seen this article before. In theory, if you read this article, you can just copy from an old drive, uh, assuming an external uh, direct connect drive, to another one and... Uh, It'll, uh, and my experience, Dave, has, has actually been, if this happens, what, what may happen is the first time you try to do a backup, it's like, you know, I've seen you before, but you're a little different, but do you want me to, uh, I think it says inherit or, yeah, I think it says, you, you want me to inherit what, what I'm seeing here? I know it's a little different, but it looks to be pretty much the same. So, uh, you know, do you want me to go with this? And, and you say yes. And then from that point on time machine works, uh, yeah, know, the best that can, which, That's right. uh, <laughs> as we've seen, is <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes uh, disastrous uh, eventually, but uh, but but it's certainly a good option for you. Uh, uh, all I'll add is, uh, I you know, we had another question, so I'll just spit this out. <sighs> Don't use Time Machine as your only backup solution, please, please, please. I I, I beg of you, and I think Dave, you, you would be with me on this. I'm yes. Don't use yes. Time Machine as we your have- only backup solution. It's it's a good backup backup solution <laughs> if i will but please do not use it as your only backup solution i actually it use it as my with- my first my front lines in that it when i need to go to restore something time machine usually makes it really easy if it worked oh sure it's handy it's handy it's convenient, right? and it's right there it's right there it's yeah. prone to disaster it is it is <laughs> um while yeah while we're on the uh on the subject, we'll, we'll, we'll answer Michael's question. And really uh, there, there's an answer here, but there's also kind of a, a public service announcement. So we'll stick with this. He says, I have a late uh, 2014 uh, iMac retina, which I regularly clone with carbon copy cloner. I decided to do a test and boot my MacBook pro late 2013 uh, from the drive. It was extremely slow, taking about five minutes to boot. With several attempts, it never booted at all. Once it did boot, opening an app like Chrome would take another five minutes. So ultimately, it seems unusable as a quick solution if my iMac would go down. And and first of all, really smart uh, for you to be testing this before you need it, right? It says, my external drive is a Western Digital My Passport Ultra 1 terabyte USB 3 drive. I believe in the distant past, I was able to effectively work from an external boot drive, but that isn't the case now. Any suggestions? Do I need a faster or otherwise better external drive to do this? The drive was not full. He says it had about 200 gigs of free space. So um, you should be able to do this. And again, awesome that you tested this because now is the time, folks, to make sure that your backups do what you might need them to do someday or will need them to do someday. I think you've got a failing hard drive here or a failing cable or a failing interface or something. Uh, it, what you're experiencing is not normal. It is normal for a clone to take longer to boot than, say, the SSD that's in your iMac. That's totally believable. 
It's also foreseeable that a clone would take longer to boot the first time up because the cloning process doesn't copy everything. And specifically, it doesn't copy all of your caches and all that. So those need to be rebuilt. And, and you know, spotlight indexes and those kinds of things typically are not cloned uh, as well and are not maintained on a clone. And so those types of things need to be rebuilt. It is going to be a little sluggish coming up and then it'll be a little sluggish once it's up. So it's possible that's all you were experiencing. What I would do is I would uh, a make a backup somewhere else so that you're never without at least one backup and then wipe out your clone drive completely, uh, reformat it and do a new clone to it and then do this test again. And it's possible that the drive was just terribly fragmented or something. And that's all, all it was. And that's what was slowing you down. And now you're fine. But if it's not, you're going to find out during that process that this drive might be failing or, or something else. And, and then maybe you want to get another drive to, uh, to rely upon. That's my thoughts. Any thoughts from you, John? I'm with you. All right. Um, Slowdowns may not always, uh, yeah, some slowdowns are due to cache rebuilding and stuff, but some could be due to the drive. Uh, and yeah, I, I would maybe check the console. A lot of times you may see it report IO errors or yeah. retries or some other garbage. Um, not garbage, but you know, just <laughs> unusual events. Um, yep. The console may clue you in on that. But yep. um, yeah, it shouldn't take, after you've booted a couple of times, it shouldn't take way longer no it shouldn't it, it, depending on your bus of course yeah of course of course uh all right let's see if we have time for one last quick one this one's uh well it's handy hello this is scott from virginia long time listener and first time caller as i'm sure you'll cover on the show apple's making some changes to itunes radio but actually i'm interested in a different kind of radio internet radio if you open iTunes, it's the icon along the top that looks like an antenna tower. If you click on that, it takes you to a list of different genres, and from there you can select from a huge variety of different live radio stations. These have been around since maybe even the first version of iTunes, at least as far back as I can remember. So here's my question. Do you know of any way I can get these same stations on my iPhone or iPad? Whenever I search Google, I find plenty of results for iTunes radio, but that's a different service than the live internet radio stations. It seems like all of these stations come from third parties. So there has to be a way to play them outside of iTunes on my Mac. Any ideas? Thanks, guys. You can cut me off. Yeah, you bet. So you're right. There, there are third-party stations uh, that iTunes, or the, the folks who build this directory for iTunes, have just kind of pulled together. Very different from, like you said, like Beats 1, which is you know Apple's own station. And then they'll have more beat stations. And that's great. Uh, a lot of these. So if you go into iTunes on your Mac and you highlight one of your, you know, preferred favorite Internet radio stations uh, and do a file and then get info, you can see what the stream is. Many of them are straight URLs or dot M3U files, which are pretty much straight URLs. And you can simply paste those into the URL bar in Safari on your iPhone or your Mac and it'll just play the stream. It's very similar to the live stream that we do for this show. We package it so that it's easy. And when you go to MacGeekab.com slash stream, it just plays. But you could take that stream and go put it anywhere and it'll just work. Um, that's some of them. I don't know if it's half of them or more than half or less than half. I think it's less than half or like that. 
And then there's quite a few that are .pls files. Those will not play by themselves. And you may not want to be playing these things in Safari by yourself. You know, you, you might want an app to sort of pull all these together. Um, I found an app called High Def Radio, and we'll put a link in the show notes, of course. Uh, there's a, a free version, I think, and a paid version. Uh, you know the caveats there. Uh, you might have some limitations. But these, you can put things in, uh, but it also has its own directory, which probably includes a lot of the same things. And that might be what you're, what you're after, uh, is, is this. And this High Def Radio thing uh, works. Are you playing this, John? Or is that me? Somebody's playing it in the background. Uh, Sorry. That's okay. I was experimenting. That's good. But I may have something to add. Okay, cool. Uh, so high def radio works, uh, and, and that might let you do exactly what you're doing and actually keep using some of the stations that you have. Uh, another app that, uh, or another service, which is an app in and of itself is, uh, that I'll recommend is called tune in T U N I N and, uh, tune in, uh, is the website. They have, like I said, an app you can play in your browser, and they do a lot of this type of stuff. They're, they're a little more into the curation side of things. So not everything's in there, but things like Mac Geek Gab are in there. And also things like, you know, your, you want your favorite classic rock, you know, station or whatever. Those things are there as well. Um, and you can get them uh, for free and they've got all different kinds of things. But you, you need to sign up for a TuneIn account, but it's free to do that. And, uh, and it works really, really well. So that's, uh, that's what I got. What do you got, John? Um, no, I saw two things. So one, I was looking at these stations in iTunes and number one, the only caveat is that, uh, some of them are on port 8,000. So you want to make sure that you allow that sort of traffic, but then I'm trying to look here, Dave, so that, yeah, as you pointed out, it's a PLS file and what I'm trying to figure here, I'm trying to find it in my list of, uh, in my finder here up oh, here. We it's go. It's a playlist PLS playlist. Yeah. 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 What I'm trying to figure out is, are there any other apps open oh look at this all right well that's kind of interesting so allegedly so i'm looking on my my machine here dave and this could be just total yeah total craziness but so my machine claims that um bb edit fuse microsoft excel quicktime smile text edit vlc and xcode can all open a pls file or understand them well i'm going to guess that some of those are ridiculous, but uh, perhaps QuickTime Player is, oh, yeah. is a candidate, yeah. and maybe VLC looks like another candidate that I would guess probably could understand a PLS file. So, and VLC is um, available on the iPhone, which is you know kind of what you're after here. So yeah, right. So looking at the file mappings, I, I think uh, I think we threw out a couple of bones there that they may be able to help. Yeah, we'll put it. Um, we'll put a link to VLC because that's a that's a good option. It's certainly worth testing it out. So VLC plays almost everything. It's, that's it's, the thing. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. I feel pretty safe recommending that here. Cause even if we get it wrong or, you know, we're still, it's, it's still pretty good. <laughs> it's a, it's a good app to have. And, uh, and it keeps coming and going to iOS. And, but now it's, it's been on iOS for a while without having been pulled. And there's an Apple TV version of the app. Um, and it'll play all kinds of things that your Apple TV otherwise won't play all kinds of videos too. So, um, definitely worth uh, worth checking out there. All right. Well, I think that's uh, I think that's going to do it for us, John. If I can if I can find the band here, so I'm going to dig him out of the snow. Oh no, you didn't There's have no it. Snow. But um, yeah, yeah, it was it worked out great. I had take a gig him out Saturday of- night, and there was no snow. Everybody was 
happy. It's good. No, I think I saw some pictures of your set and all that. And yeah. um Yeah, and you made it. I think there was some uh something new with this uh gig that uh you were concerned about, but uh, oh, I was, I was just concerned about my throat singing because with with uh, mm-hmm. Amnesiac, which was the acoustic thing that I did on Saturday night, mm-hmm. I had to I have to sing. I, I'm either singing a lead or harmony on every song, so it's uh, you know it's just extra work. But uh, it was yeah. good. Worked out great. Yeah, my throat held up uh, as it did for this show. So we're good. Outstanding. So Indeed. if you were on extra work, I'm going to give everybody an assignment. If you have a question, if you have a tip, if you have cool stuff found, if you have snacks, if you have anything that you'd like to tell us about, um, snow clearing tips, blizzard tips, I'm going to tell you where you want to send them, Dave. You want to send them to feedback at MacGeekab.com. That's feedback at MacGeekab.com, my friend. I didn't quite hear you. I think you said feedback at MacGeekab.com. But that's not all. What is all? 206-666-GEEK is the phone number you can call. John, what's GEEK? And that's 4335. If you you are a premium supporter of ours, uh, you can use the email address premium at macgeekgab.com. If you want to find out more about that, go to macgeekgab.com and you can sign up there. Premium is the opportunity for you to support us directly if you like. And, And we take questions from all kinds. We do prioritize the questions that come into premium at uh if you're helping us keep the lights on we're certainly going to prioritize you but everybody gets uh we try to answer everything and this week we uh yet again succeeded one thing where you can really help us and we've been pushing this and it's been working is uh itunes comments so i want to read some of the uh comments that uh that your fellow listeners have put up there and maybe that'll uh encourage you i don't want to want to use the word shame it'll encourage you to go and leave an iTunes comment. So this one from Nitro Zip says, uh, I love this podcast, Dave, love this podcast, Dave John, and occasionally Pilot Pete cover all things Mac and beyond. I always gain something from every show. I love their in-depth networking info and their recommendations for hardware and software. If something is good enough for Dave and John, I will certainly check it out. A couple of quick ones. Will and Steve from the UK writes, informing and en- informative, informing, informative and entertaining podcast that I look forward to every week. Unjamit, also from the UK, writes, Thanks, guys. Great show. I always learn something new. Uh, keep up the great work. Banjo79 from Australia writes, Perfect show. Everything Mac and iOS related. I love listening here down under. And uh, Professional and Helpful from the USA writes, I listen weekly and typically learn at least one new trip or tip. And then uh, we have Old Unix Guy from the USA who says, I gave the podcast four out of five stars, but most people who feel the way I do would probably give it five out of five. To me, five stars is perfection, and this podcast isn't perfect. However, I first sat down in front of a Mac in 1985, so I guess that makes me a longtime user. I've listened to podcasts for over 10 years now, and I've tried almost all the various Apple Mac podcasts during that time. For the vast majority, I listen to them for a while and then get tired. Examples, uh, and he goes through some examples. He said, however, this is the one podcast that I have stayed subscribed to the whole time i highly recommend it to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of apple and the mac thanks john and dave and thanks to all of you who sent in those reviews you rock so send in yours if you haven't and yes there's a couple more that i will read next time but uh uh, we'll 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 spread them out a little bit here and it helps all of us dave it does because i was just looking so i see um 
So I'm looking in uh, the iTunes store and podcasts and in uh, technology software how to and we are along with some of our very good uh, colleagues in the Mac community. We are in the what's hot list. Sweet. And if you keep us hot, we'll keep you hot. That's especially with this cold winter weather. That's yes, right. That's how it works. <laughs> I want to thank Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com for providing all the bandwidth that gets the show from us to you. I want to thank you folks for listening. John, I want to thank you for, uh, you know, doing this with me every week. We, we couldn't no, do it without you. each no, other. No, thank you. Well, you're welcome. Yeah, man. And uh, and uh, the po- and of course I want to thank all of our sponsors in the podcast marketplace. That includes Squarespace, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, squarespace.com/mgg, where coupon code mgg saves you ten percent. Of course, Harry's, where coupon code shave five off saves you five bucks. Gazelle at gazelle.com, where you can sell off all your old stuff. Buy amazing coupon code mgg. Smile at smilesoftware.com/geek. Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com, Barebones Software at Barebones.com, and of course Casper at Casper.com slash MGG. John, do you have any advice that we can share? My throat's shot. I got to leave it up to you. All I got to say is that if you're in the Northeast or no matter where you are, um, you know, if there's precipitation, snow, um, you want to make sure you have at least a flamethrower or some ice melt. But, but the underlying thought here is don't get caught. Made up.